Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, happy new year investors and welcome to the call, our very first show for 2021. And to kick things off, I am joined by two of the smartest guests that we have here on the show. Joining me in studio is Nathan Samasundran from uh, Deep Dive, uh, Deep Data Analytics. Jeez, what a great start to the year. And also <laughs> Gaurav Sodhi joining us via Skype from The Intelligent Investor. How are you, mate? Hi, Andrew. Hey, Nathan. Happy New Year to you both. Yeah, Happy New Year, mate. Well, you guys know the drill. We have 10 stocks. We have 60 minutes to go through them all. But before we do that, we're going to start with our stock of the day. And today we thought we'd go with Drone Shield. Drone Shield, a company that might not be familiar to many, but uh, making a little bit of waves this morning after revealing a very strong fourth quarter result. In fact, the strongest fourth quarter result they have ever had. It has been a bit of a bumpy ride though, Nathan. Is this the time to start getting excited about Drone Shield? Yeah, look, this is one of those thematic uh, tech plays. Um, it's, it is unique. And uh, they don't come too unique than this. Um, <laughs> it's, I think it's an interesting one, but it, it's, it's one of those ones, it's a bit like a biotech. They will take a long time to get to a critical mass. Um, it's what, 60, 70 million market cap. Um, so they will probably have to raise money through the cycle. Um, it'll get, I think the way it is trading right now, it's not too bad, but it's one where you've got to have patience. Uh, because they have to execute, they have to have, and the thematics at the moment for the techs aren't great. Uh, but look, it's an interesting one. Previous cycle when everything got excited, and there are a few fundies in there, yeah. big fundies. So this is one that when you get the right news flow, can run pretty hard. Got to 40, 50 cents last time. Yes. That's uh, only a year ago. So um, can this make another run up? Uh, look, I think it's a quality, interesting stock. It's a real thematic that I think will play out over the next couple of years, but the question of timing. Yeah. I don't know the news flow, um, but look, there's decent big fundies have been in there. They're still there. So I would say that gives you a bit of credibility uh, for a uh, small cap like the micro cap like this. Mm -hmm. But if the market falls over, this will get hit. It's, it is illiquid um, and that's your opportunity. This is one I would put on your watch list to keep an eye on. If you get it around 10 to 15 cents, um, this is high risk. Um, so you're not putting big part of your portfolio. It's a small, it's the high risk area. So you, I reckon around 10 to 15 cents, I would grab a bit at a time mm -hmm. and accumulate. Some point in the next six to 12 months, they'll have a decent news flow. And I, look, from most of the execution I've seen over the last couple of years, they're doing okay. It's yeah. just when the market gets excited about techs, these are the type of stocks that run because they're thematic driven, but it's still a long way away from getting critical mass. Yeah, Gaurav, some good points there from Nathan. It's definitely one of those stocks you feel as though the bigger narrative is really sexy. We know that uh, the importance of protecting against drone strikes and the rest of it is only going to grow. But 
beyond all of that, the business actually has to execute. Uh, it does look like it's going to have a good quarter, but it has been bleeding cash for a long, long time. It just raised another $15 million. Is this something that's a bit too early for you? Yeah, you raise a good point about narrative. I, I, narrative is very important. I, 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 I use narrative. I think it's important that investors understand it and are able to exploit it. We just have to be careful not to fall victim of it. And at this point of the cycle, where so much is being narrative driven already and there's a fair bit of heat in the market, I, I think narrative stocks are ones you generally want to be quite careful about. Um, and that includes this one. I, I, when it comes to a business like this, I, I really like to just take a step back and, and ask what I'm trying to do um, as an investor. And it may seem a bit odd to say so, but my goal as an investor is not necessarily to pick stuff that goes up or to watch my returns all that carefully. Um, the, the thing that distinguishes investing from so many other disciplines is that so many external factors play on returns. Uh, it's not just you pick a stock, it goes up, you're a genius. You know, there are so many other factors that determine outcomes. Luck, no, no greater than luck, um, in, in my view. I, I think investors sorely underestimate the role of luck um, in their performance. Yep. So investing can't just be about results. It has to be about process. And for me, investing is all about process. And when I look at a business like this, I, you, know, you have to ask what I mean, what is the investment case? What is the edge as an analyst that you can bring to a business like this? It is technically demanding. It relies on opaque government contracts. There are, um, the competitors are also invisible and we don't know what they're working on. Uh, revenues are lumpy, margins are unknown. I don't understand how you come up with an investment case for something like this. And if you are an investor in, in my mold um, and you're interested in, in process and you need a really tight investment case for everything you purchase, then you can't realistically put your money into something like this. Yeah, some really excellent points there. So for Gora, it was just too hard basket for Nathan. Very speculative, but might be interested around 10 or 15 cents. Okay, gents, let's get into the 10 stocks as recommended by our viewers. And Gaurav, I'm going to stay with you. We're going to go from a micro cap to a very big large cap blue chip company. Uh, a longtime favorite for income investors is Sydney Airports. And let's give them credit where it's due. The dividend history here has been stellar. In fact, up a single digit growth for a long, long, long time until COVID hit. And we know what's happened in terms of the share price there. Is this one for the patient investor or is it still too soon, do you think? We actually own this and, and this is one of the first stocks. I think actually this was the first stock we bought in March when the pandemic hit and stock prices got crunched. Uh, we were arguably a little bit early, but it still worked out pretty well. There is no doubt and there's no secret that Sydney Airport is one of the best assets in Australia. Um, it's a monopoly asset with um, a huge amount of growth still to come. Um, there's the monetization of the retail space um, and there's a lot of unregulated revenue that can be maxed uh, still with the hard to believe, but there's still a lot of potential for it. Uh, and, and look, the, the price is historically quite attractive, but we do need to be careful about um, uh, the uh, revenues in the future. I think uh, the consensus seems to be about 2024 where international um, travel returns to normal and I think that's about right. For the very long-term investor I think there's still an opportunity here but for most of us I think 
this is just a hold at this point. And and under six dollars, you probably um, it's probably worth nibbling on. Um, you know, around five dollars, you probably want to take a much bigger bite at it. Um, and around this level, it's probably fairly priced, if maybe mildly cheap. Um, what I really like about this business, Andrew, if I can babble on it for another minute, Please is, do. is that the metrics look appalling. I love the fact that the PE looks silly, that the debt looks outlandish, because that puts a lot of people off who just look at metrics and don't think about the metrics. Um, and that's because of the structure of the business. Um, it actually, um, uh, the net profit line, you can almost ignore that because um, it's structured as a tax efficient structure and so the, the all the, the numbers that depend on the net profit are outlandish roe and pe make no sense and i would just ignore those um and i think that's an opportunity every time we come up to a company and the net profit um misstates economic reality i, I see that as an opportunity because so many people um don't do their own work and, and try and figure out what the economic reality is uh so there's always an opportunity in sydney airport Today, I would say the opportunity is a small one. So a hold for me, for a long-term investor, it's still okay. But I think it's about right at this play level. You can just see from the chart there how uh, good Gorav's timing was, Nathan. He's, he's done extremely well at it. But he makes some excellent points though around the financials as well. Dividends, the thing to watch here. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to fake a dividend. Yeah, oh, look, it, it's, it's structured to look ugly. Uh, Gorav's right. It just looks ugly. Macro is ugly. Um, we all know there's no surprise there, and he's right about the timing. I think a lot of people thought there's a V-shape recovery and all of these things. Um, I think the V-shape finished pretty quickly. Um, it's a very short V, um, and in that context, look, it's okay. And I think Graves bang on. I think you're you're not buying a lot of return at this point. You've already had the bounce. Um, I think we both like Auckland International Airport better on yep. a like-for-like -like basis. Mm -hmm. It's got, it's it'll probably be the bigger property developer than anyone else in, uh, given that Fletcher building is a complete mess. Um, it's probably <laughs> the best in New Zealand. Um, and New Zealand still stacks up quite well as a tourism spot. So I think in the future, it's probably do a bit better, but then again, the share price has done better too. Uh, so I think the airports are okay. I don't think you're gonna get a lot of returns at this point. I think there is a bit of risk. I think over the next couple of years, the airports will be trading stocks because they've got two things going for them. One, the market's overly optimistic about the rebound. Uh, two, it's a yield trade. So when you've got bond yields recovering, this thing will be challenged. I'm not overly fussed about their debt because it always looks ugly and they're very good at managing that. So I don't think that's gonna be an issue, but it may, be, it may start to pressure on the dividend yield if things start to you know, remain weak for a longer. Um, and the other thing to worry about is, look, if you get another lockdown or all of those kind of things, then they'll have to come and raise again. So you get diluted. The problem with them is it's a bit like, you have gotta remember what happened with property trust. If they raise a lot of money a number of times, then you dilute your future earnings on a per share basis even more. So that's the risk. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm not getting excited by this sector, but again, everything has a price. If people throw it out, then it's worthwhile looking. I think the risk return doesn't stack up right now. You guys both make some excellent points, but uh, it's a no-go at this point in time. Sorry, Gaurav, did you want to make a point? I was just going to quickly add that, that Nathan makes a really good point there about the debt. Um, historically, a lot of the excess return from the asset has actually come from a highly geared balance sheet. Mm. And you have to think that the gearing won't be the same in the future. There's no way banks are going to let um, Sydney Airport run with the level of debt it's run in the past. And so I think there's a good chance your future returns don't look quite as good as historic returns um, because they're not going to be geared to that extent. 
Um, I think this is an asset that can handle a fair bit of gearing, but the banks won't just won't just won't let it gear up as it as it maybe can. Um, so just keep that in mind as well. That future future returns probably going to be a little softer from here. Okay, great. So that was uh, from Maddie of Sydney Airports, and hopefully you found that very informative. Let's move now to something completely different, a litigation funder. Nathan, I'll start with you here. This one, Omni Bridgeway, OBL is the code, formerly IMF. Mm. Uh, Chris wants to know, is it something he should buy, sell or hold? This is an interesting one because it's very lumpy and it's hard, to, and I'm sure this is one would um, trigger Gaurav to look at because... Um, it is one of those ones where the earnings are lumpy, hard to forecast, timings can be patchy. Mm. But look, I've actually looked at this stock in previous number of jobs, actually. A number of the houses I worked in have covered this over the years. And they're not bad. They, they know what they're doing. Yeah. It, so it's a fascinating you know, business. It is. It? Yeah. It's quite a unique business. It's, again, it's because it's non-correlated to economic activity, you get that protection of when you've got a weak economy, they still do what they do. There are some legal changes in class actions locally that's been put through. Mind you, these guys do outside Australia as well. Yeah. So there's that protection. I think they're not too bad. They're t it's a trading stock. And where it is now, it's actually not too bad. Um, I would say that they, you know, you've got to back management on these things because at the end of the day, you're backing a bunch of guys who've done well, picking the right cases and collecting. Mm. And you know, their track record is good, but I would say this is highly volatile stock. So if you are after your Sydney airports type uh, returns, this is not one for yeah, you. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, if, you want the, if you're willing to take on volatility, I think the management is worthwhile backing. So if you can pick it up, you know, if it's a pullback, you pick it up around say mid threes um, or even high threes, it's actually not a bad bet. Um, I think management is good enough. The multiples are okay. They pay a yield from memory. They pay a decent yield. Yep. So in a no yield environment, you know these guys look okay. Yep. So I think the fact that they pay yield tells you how good management has been able to manage it. So um, yeah, I'll look. It's ugly, but it's an ugly buy. Yes, yeah. yes, an ugly buy. I used that term last year. I really yeah. like that. Gaurav, what do you think? Nathan made a really good point there too, noting really the um, importance of capital allocation from management. You know, they have to pick the right cases for them to do well. Good track record. Does that get it over the line for you? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. That is the key to this business. And it's been phenomenally successful. I've looked at this for years in the past and always viewed it with skepticism and always been proven wrong. Management are very adept at picking the right cases. They in fact only choose 1% of the cases that um, come to them uh, actually get any funding. So 99% of cases get rejected by management. Their internal returns on capital are over 100%. Um, the average uh, litigation return is something like 30%. I mean, it, these, are, these are numbers that go back 20 years and year after year, they just do very, very well. There's clearly an art to this, and they've mastered this art nicely because there are very low barriers to entry. This is essentially a business that takes a little bit of capital, a couple of lawyers, and goes out and looks for cases to fund where the odds are in their favor. Um, it used to be that this business put its own balance sheet on the line, so it utilized internal funds to, um, uh, to generate returns on. I think there's an opportunity at the moment because the business model is now changing. The previous model led to uh, very lumpy earnings, uncertain returns, and, um, and huge peaks and troughs. 
the new model actually invites external capital and it turns the business from a pure litigation funder into more of a, a funds management business. They actually earn um, annuity returns from the funds that they're able to attract and then they earn cream from the uh, um, from the cases that they actually win as well. So I think you'll see the earnings profile of the business actually improve in the future, become much more stable um, and much a little bit more predictable. It will always fluctuate. There'll always be an element of um, of up and down in the earnings. Um, but I think that's actually the opportunity here. These guys have established a very strong track record. Um, they are far and away the largest in the industry. And they proved that that competition is not as easy as it appears to be. So we actually own this and we bought it late last year, recommended as a buy and bought it for our portfolios as well. Um, it's 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 one that took a lot of persuasive persuasion um, around the team, but I actually think it's a pretty strong idea at the moment. Um, so it gets a thumbs up from me, fine. So it's 1.2 bill. It's not like some small business. No. Uh, yeah. And this from memory, I think when when we started looking at IMF, it was about three, four hundred mil stock. So yes, it's come a long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, some really great insight there from the two gentlemen. Hopefully that helps you. Philip, though, wants to know, and Nathan, I'm going to start with you this time. Another big stock here, Medibank Private, didn't list that long ago. Hasn't been fantastic, but I suppose it could be worse. Is it something that gets you excited? Uh, even Warren Buffett makes mistakes and insurance and airlines are two of them. Um, look, unless you've got Warren Buffett's options writing skills, um, I wouldn't be jumping into insurance quickly. This has got, I mean, it's a bit like um, Coca-Cola. The macro is negative. People are leaving the industry. Um, they get, you know, I suppose premium rises have to be pretty decent to make this business work. And that's declining, even though it's high. Um, I just think it's a tough sector. Um, uh, insurance overall is struggling. Um, I, the big guys are not doing well. These guys really, I mean, look, NIB is a really well-run business. Yeah. It's a comp. Uh, Usually and, comes up when yeah, insurance exactly. So I, I think this one, you know, government business came out, the fat's been cut out, the easy gains are done. Mm. Now you're playing the macro thematic and I think the macro thematic is tough. The sector's not gonna ever shoot the lights out. You know, whether you buy one or the other, both of them tend to go up. I don't think one's going, I mean, I probably think NIV is a bit better managed. Uh, but look, I think it's a range trader. This is a trading stock. I don't think this is one you buy and hold for the macro thematic that's going to grow over the next five to 10 years. I think that's to, to a certain extent curbed uh, where they are. Um, so I, I'd probably think, you know, it's reached this peak before this year and it's pulled back like last year, sorry. It's now last year. Mm -hmm. um, so in that context, I, I would say you're probably at the high end of the range. I'm not getting excited that this is suddenly going to deliver massive growth and shoot the lights out. Uh, so yeah, you're there for things that are growing and going to get better and you want to have good macro helping it, good management. Look, I think it's okay in most, but it's just okay. I don't think it's going to grow that far. Yeah, and I guess you can afford and perhaps you should be selective when it comes to your portfolio. Yeah, if, if you're being selective and you want to, you know, it depends on your time frame. If you're looking for yield stocks, this is not one that's potentially going to sustain mm. it. If you're going for growth, I don't think this is going to be the big growth story. So this is one of those in-betweens for fund managers to hold, but I don't think it's for the retail investor. Let, let the fundies have this one. Gaurav, mm. what do you think? Do you worry about bond yields and the potential return these guys can get on their float? Are there other considerations for you? Yeah, the, the bond yield is important, 
But um, I think as we've talked about before in insurance, the insurance pricing cycle tends to take bond yields into account and um, the core operating ratio tends to reflect what's happening in bond prices. So if if insurers are making money in the bond market on their float, then they're more competitive on prices and if they're not, then they're not so competitive and prices rise. So I think over time that adjusts itself and I'm not too concerned about that. What's more concerning is that in health insurance in particular, you have tremendous and unstoppable cost inflation every year um, because what these guys are really covering is hospital payments and all around the world and all throughout modern history, hospital costs have just risen incessantly. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. It just makes the job very difficult. I don't understand how NIB has able to do has done such a good job for such a long time. It must be an extraordinary management team. There's actually a um, there's a mandated equalization fund in this industry. So if you're a fund, an insurance fund that attracts young, healthy people to limit your payouts, you actually have to, you don't get to claim that benefit because you have to pay subsidies to other funds who attract older, sicker people. So it's there's no real easy way to win in this industry. It's a very difficult game. and. The only reason I would buy this stock is if it were tremendously cheap, and it's not. Um, I, I would put my money elsewhere. It doesn't look overly expensive to me, but I just think returns are very difficult to eke out in this industry, and I'd, I'd sell and look elsewhere. Okay. Well, there you go, Philip. Uh, no love from either of the gents there, and sounds like for some pretty good reasons too. Let's talk about ready-made meals. Gaurav, I'm going to stick with you. U Foods didn't list that long ago. Uh, what did we say? Back in, in fact, only last month, shares yeah. moved around, but really about where they, they, they listed it. Uh, is it something that's interesting for you or perhaps a bit too soon? No, it's not even too soon. I, I, I would just say no to this. It, it looks like a very opportunistic um, float. We know that these these style of businesses have had a big um, a big tailwind uh, because of COVID. Um, just look at what's happened to Marley Spoon. That thing's just taken off. Yeah. But it's a very competitive business. Um, you know, I, I when looking at at this, we we I sort of found you know half a dozen without even trying competitors. Um, there's attracting customers is is tremendously difficult. Retaining them is hard. Margins are slim. If you're able to um, scale, uh, then it, the business actually scales really well because there are so many fixed costs. But because it's so competitive, yeah. um, it's quite difficult to attract and keep customers. I think the economics are really stacked against this industry. It's going to be very difficult to for anyone to make sustained high returns uh, until I see some evidence to the contrary. I, I would stay, stay clear of this and all the competitors as well. An abundance of common sense there, Nathan. Do you agree? I see you. I see you nodding your head. Oh, this is just uh, you know, it's all in the timing, isn't it? Um, you know, if, you, if you've got a buy now, pay later anywhere in the world, you could be in, you know, some back end of Russia. You listed in Australia because we pay stupid multiples for it. Uh, this is one of those. I mean, you got the DoorDash play. Um, I mean, you know, if dreams were cheap, we'd buy it. And these are dreams. Uh, there's a lot of stocks in specific sectors that are perfectly timed for a particular time in the market. Will this be a competitor surviving in five, 10 years time post vaccine? Uh, I don't know, probably not. Uh, so in that context, it's gonna to be tough. I'll give you a quant factor. After three months, if this stock is down from IPO, 
historically, that's bad news. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. so any float after three months is down, um, usually bad news. There's only been a few that's gone against that, probably Colin Food, Ordinate, which I was told about uh, after the float. There's a few, but most, once they go down, you suffer for a that's while. That's an interesting stat. Can you put a number on it? I'm, I'm question without notice here, but oh, do you know what the proportion is? I think, I think it's probably about 80. Really, that you know, high? 70, 80%. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah, so because the whole concept is when they're published, well, they're going into the market, they're going on a particular thematic, yep. or they're disappointed at the start. Uh, now, how do you disappoint at the start? Well, you know, I remember Colin Foods, they blamed the New Zealand Rugby Union World Cup for people not eating at KFC, which I thought, uh, what? Um, <laughs> so they got slaughtered. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, they turned around, <laughs> bought acquisitions, growth, massive. That's that's probably one of the few that... Did the exception the that proves the rule, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you tend to suffer for a good six to 12 months. Yeah. Uh, so again, that's probably one. Uh, yes, it's small cap, playing the thematic. I think off the top of my head, I know at least four or five that do this delivery service, you know, main meals, every... Every person who's an influencer is trying to put out a, uh, their own version of the food and diet and exercise mm -hmm. and online. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was seems like pretty easy to create a company. Um, so in that context, grabs right. You need these guys to execute, deliver numbers, and then say, okay, it is what it is. But they're late to the game. There's a big boys out there. Mm. Um, so I think it'd be pretty tough. Yeah, I think that's for me is, is the issue. I think whoever gets scale here and gets to a, to a, a stage where they just have phenomenal scale advantage. They become, it, they become the verb. Yes, right. The minute you become the verb, then you basically you've you've got an advantage. Yeah. Right. Eventually. Oh, I, can, yep. I, I, I think it's even if you're the biggest in the room, food is something that people want to try and experiment with. Sure. Um, they, 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 there's no lock with food, you know. Um, uh, even even if um, if they become the biggest in the industry, there's no lock on the customer, and there's nothing to stop the customer than trying the new yeah. competitor who has slightly better packaging or slightly sweeter um, tomatoes yeah. or whatever. People, you know get, what I mean? people get bored and they want to try different things with food. That's the most common mm. thing. People always change. I mean, even if you buy a you know takeaway food, you know you do a couple and then you want to change to the next one just for the sake of change. So it's really hard to hold on to your grabs, right? It's really hard to hold on to a customer in that industry continuously unless you're a middleman connecting a lot of things, i.e. the yep. Uber type models. Right, right. I was wondering though if there might be more of a quali quality sort of one point of differentiation, but more so with scale comes the cost advantage where I can deliver a very healthy, nutritious meal much faster than anyone else at a fraction of the cost of anyone else just because I'm so big and I have that network established. Yeah. But we're we are really going down a rabbit hole here and, and we do not have time. And I promised you beforehand, Nathan, that we're not going to go over time. So I'm going to move on. Um, and let's talk about, here's a really interesting company. This one um, I've actually followed for a little while. A lovely, I'd like to say little, but not so little any, or not as little as it was. Family run company, Laser Bond. They do mm. laser coating um, of, of a capital equipment, essentially for mining, for manufacturing. It makes it more useful. It extends the useful life out of it. Shares are up about sixfold in five years, although earnings can be a little bit lumpy. Uh, Gaurav, let's start with you here. Is it one that you've come across before? No, it's the first time I've had a look at Laser Bond. Um, it's a little business. It's not large. I think from memory, it's. Um, used to be minuscule. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it used to be even smaller. I think it's under $100 million still um, from memory, but um, it's an interesting business. Um, the proposition is actually really good. You know, I, when, I, when I look at a business, I want to see um, a business actually should be a commercialized 
a solution to a problem. It should solve a problem. And if it doesn't solve a problem, then it fails the very first test. Um, inter interestingly, that's actually why we didn't buy Afterpay um, very early on. We looked at that and thought, well, what problem is this business actually solving? Why don't people use credit cards? And we're completely wrong about that. So whatever I say after this, um, just, just remember that. Um, but I like the problem that they're solving here. Um, Laserbond looks like they, it's a surface engineering business. It looks like they've come up with a few technologies to um, remediate and replace um, heavy engineering tools that get used a lot. Um, and things like um, mining equipment, um, engineering and, and dredging equipment, um, the, the heads of those pieces of equipment um, need to get uh, fixed or repaired on a regular basis, and that involves downtime, high costs, and low utilization. So it's in the interest of the customer to have a better solution, and um, Laserbond appears to be providing that. From the numbers in their presentations and reports, it looks like this is an excellent solution to a difficult and real problem um, that works for customers um, and returns have been okay but I must say I've been I've been surprised by the lumpiness of the returns I, I would be I'm interested in this business I think it's it's small but for those interested in smaller companies this is reasonable looks interesting and it's worth digging into there are a couple of questions for me that I'd like um, I'd like to get into in a little bit more detail one is Whenever you have a engineering business that works on contracts, especially with very large customers, you want to get a good handle of revenue recognition and contract recognition. Excellent. You want to understand how um, the the income statement relates to the cash flow, because very often these companies have large multi-year contracts, and the way they recognize revenue is completely discretionary. It's up to them. They can determine their own profit on a year-to-year -year basis, so they can make themselves look great. Um, so I, I, you'd want to really get your head around that and, and also to understand the competitive landscape a little bit. Uh, you, you know, what, what sort of alternatives are there for um, the regeneration of the uh, equipment? Um, what, are the what, are, what, are the what are the customers looking at apart from Laserbond as well? But with those provisos, I, I would put this on a watch list. I think this is interesting enough uh, to warrant further research. Um, Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. The, I actually heard about this because a number of guys I was uh, working for before uh, had this stock. And I went, what the? And, they, and then it had a huge run. And uh, these guys have been in the stock for a while. They've, they've taken a bit of profit. Um, look, it's graphs bang on there. I think it's, it's a great, interesting stock. Um, I actually am pretty positive on mining services and linked you know, engineering services and so forth. Yep. So I think it, the macro looks pretty positive. Most miners are doing better than they've ever done. Um, and they're being managed a hell of a lot better anyway. Um, so in that context, the services business looks better. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of shareholders who's been in this for a while. So you'll get a bit of selling into that after the recent cycle. Um, I would say you probably will get it cheaper, but it's one to keep an eye on. The graph's right. I, I would be a buyer in this. Management in the last couple of years have been ticking the boxes. So I think it's going in the right way, um, but I think, you know, it's had a good run and there's people taking profit and I know people who've been taking profit so these guys are much smarter than me so when they're doing that on a stock that they've been looking at for a long time it tells me yes there'll be a bit of bit of that and then you'll get the next cycle but this is one to keep an eye on I think this is a well-managed business it's a small business obviously comes with the risk but I think it's an interesting business okay so that's a to watch for both of the gentlemen let's do a quick recap now because we are halfway through our list of stocks and 
We haven't had any two thumbs up so far on the show. We had a hold for, bo uh, for both the guys for Sydney Airport. It's a lot of positive things to say, but Auckland International is the preferred pick there. And when it comes to Sydney Airports, the price is just a little bit too expensive. The opportunity was really back in March. We then moved on to litigation funding, a fascinating business here. This is the one that we got as close as we were going to get to a, to a two thumbs up. Uh, Gaurav did like it, but for Nathan, he wanted it closer to the mid threes or even the high threes. So at this point, waiting for a bit more of a pullback. Medibank Private, uh, just not a lot of positive things to say about the insurance industry and some really good points raised there. So that was sent in by Philip and uh, for, sorry, Philip, that was two thumbs down. We then went to U Foods, uh, that was sent in by Kevin. Also, really nothing much uh, positive to say there. Phenomenally uh, competitive industry, no clear leader at this stage. So that was two X's. Laser Bond though, some interesting things uh, to note, um, although for these guys, a bit more due diligence needed and hopefully a little bit of a, a cheaper price if possible. So that is one to watch. So what does all that mean? Well, if uh, you haven't been with us for a while, you might have overlooked the fact that we do run our own portfolio here at The Call. And the way that we do that is we buy a stock every time a company gets two thumbs up. And if it gets anything other than that, even if it gets one thumbs up, if it gets two holds, not good enough. We'll kick that out. We will sell it on that date. And we've been doing that since the start of this financial year. So let's have a quick look at just how well that has performed. And as you can see on your screen there, very, very attractive indeed. A little bit flat over the past month, but uh, financial year to date, 23.62%. That extra decimal point, of course, super important, right, Nathan? Yeah, hi. Yeah. We've got to add that in. Um, uh, what have we done to change this thing recently? Stocks added in recent times. Uh, A2 Milk has been given uh, a double tick. Illumina, Viva Energy, CSL, and Newix. We had a couple of stocks kicked out uh, towards the end of last year, uh, Elders and Electro Optic Systems. If you wanna keep track of all of the changes that are made, uh, it's very easy to do. Just go to our website and you'll see the address right on the bottom of your screen there, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Right. Let's get into the second half of the show. And we're gonna start with a very, very well-known company. Gaurav, I'm gonna start with you here, BHP Billiton. What do you think? <laughs> I must admit, I have a lot of affection for this business. This was, I think, the first stock I started covering when I uh, turned stock analyst professionally. Um, and I've been covering it for more than 10 years. And it continuously, even, even today, still sometimes surprises me. Um, this, it's morphed from being a business that just digs holes in the ground and tries to dig bigger holes in more ground to being a legitimately high quality business. You know, if this has, it's, a, it's a really long history for the company. And over that history, over the last 20, 30, 40 years, this company has never made an operating loss. All the losses the company has incurred, and they've incurred many, have come from mistakes of capital allocation. So the, the holy grail for the business was always to allocate capital better. And that has started happening about ooh, four years ago, around there, where um, following the last mining bust, uh, it looks like the board and management had a really introspective period. And they've come up with a new capital allocation model and a new way of thinking about um, returns on their assets and how they keep um, profit and allocate profit to new mining activities. It's been phenomenally successful since then. And um, 
I actually think it's not unreasonably priced now. We own a, a decent chunk of BHP. Um, we're one of the few people who are buying it way back at fourteen, fifteen dollars when it went oh, through well the uh, the crap of a couple of years ago. Um, if you understand these assets really well, um, you understand that they are the best mining assets in the world by none, and all it needed was uh, slightly more diligent management, which they now have. So I think this, there's more to this business than just an iron ore boom. Um, you know, Medcoal and 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 um, and the oil business have done nothing. Um, the nickel business has underperformed. They have maybe the second most profitable mine in the world, an Olympic Dam, which is currently losing money. There, there is a lot of things still to fix and to get right in this business. There's a lot of levers to pull and a lot of upside still to come. I think this is potentially worth $50 a share at least. Um, and that's not with supercharged commodity prices. That's with um, average commodity prices. So, um, you know, for the longer term investor, I still think there's an opportunity here. But, uh, you know, the upside probably is not enough for me to call it a buy. Um, we own it and we intend to hold it for now. Um, I would reiterate that this is now for the first time in its history, a above average quality business and not just a cyclical miner, in my view. Some really interesting insights there. I learned a little bit. Um, Nathan, do you agree with all of that? Yeah, unfortunately, when you start the year, I don't want to agree with Gaurav too much, but uh, <laughs> look, we've argued over mining stocks. Uh, you know, it used to be guys get paid too much to punch holes in the ground and hope for something. And these guys have gone through the good times when they were stupid to being a much more uh, organized, much more capital, smart, savvy uh, investors in their own business. So it, it's done well. We've been long the reflation trade for from this probably middle of this year last year mm -hmm. last year now <laughs> um so it's it's had a good run for the right reasons uh but look would you pick i know where it is no uh, did i think i know is going to be above 100 bucks yes not 160 bucks it'll probably come back um but look I, I think it's if you know nothing about mining and you had to pick a mining stock BHP is your default choice. Mm, mm. Um, because of the scale and the size of them, they become a buy for most ETFs, passive funds, and just the size of them makes them a big buy in the index plays. Now that's the positive news. The negative news uh, in the sh last couple of weeks to keep an eye on is that steel prices went basically straight up. If you look at the steel ETF, it just gone boom. So blue scope, Sims Metal, you don't have to be good. You just have to be in that industry and it's gone up. Now that's driven, obviously, the iron ore price. Now the Chinese, who are the dominant player here, um, a couple of weeks ago, went to their, their steel industry and said, slow it down, boys. So we want negative growth over the next 12 months. So they want to reduce the amount of steel production. And then last week, they went to their in, well, the lenders, to the property market and said, we want to curb that down because it's going a bit too much. Didn't they also say overnight or very recently too, they're looking to, f to develop their own supply as well, some really high quality supply. So that's going to be years off, but and when it comes, it's going to be... Yeah, there's a few African uh, iron ore mines suddenly were lost uh, <laughs> to the government. So, you know, it happens when you've got Chinese money running around uh, and they own all the infrastructure. Uh, so they've, they've lost a few mines. So um, I would expect there will be, I mean, look, the Chinese play chess. Uh, they've got game in play uh, for iron ore to be a bit more self-reliant. Um, so that will play out at some point. But BHP has done well. It's diversified, so you're there. We were in Rio, um, and then iron ore went berserk. We took profit in mm -hmm. Rio, and we've kept BHP in our models. 
Uh, we still like it and grips, right? There's a bit more in it. Uh, but would I be jumping in right now to buy it? Probably not. Okay. Um, they look, it's a reflation trade. So that means things are going to cost more, which mm -hmm. means commodity prices will do well. So I expect that's going to continue to play out over the next couple of years. Um, and I expect miners to do well. And this is one of the biggest and the best. Mm -hmm. um, so you buy it. Okay, guys, if you could um, try not to be so interesting because we are running out of time and, and tempting me with all these useful nuggets of information. Let's go to another uh, very dominant company on the ASX, one that's done extremely well over a very long period of time is Macquarie Group. Gaurav, what do you reckon? Shares up threefold in 10 years. Can it do the same over the next 10? Yeah, what an amazing business. I would put this in the top 10 businesses in the country. Um, and we foolishly sold this at $100 after buying it beautifully in the downturn for under under $60. Um, I regret that now, um, selling it. Uh, it's one of these companies where even if it looks a little bit expensive, I think it's worthwhile hanging on because the competitive advantage here is is phenomenally strong and impossible to replicate. The advantage is cultural. and. Um, you know, we've been doing a bit of work in this area as a group at Intelligent Investor, and I still think cultural competitive advantages, you know, that come from management and uh, and staff, incredibly difficult to identify, almost never in the price because they're hard to quantify, but they're also impossible to replicate. Mm. Um, and you look back at the history of Macquarie, and it 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 started off as nothing more than um, another merchant bank. Um, and yet every time it had a chance to do something different, it did do something different. It's morphed and changed um, as the markets have changed. I think this is a phenomenal business. Um, uh, we don't own it at the moment. It's a hold uh, for me. But you always get a chance to buy this because there's, even though it's changed into an asset manager now, there's still a very large market-facing business here that's very cyclical. And the market always gets surprised when um, when when there's a downturn. So. Hmm. Always keep this on your watch list and um, and pick it up in any sort of downturn because it is a phenomenal business with a legitimately strong, enduring advantage. What do you reckon? Uh, it's a crap business. Nah, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> look, it's, I had to just say it because I'm sick of agreeing with Gaurav. Um, uh, look, terrible, isn't it? What's yeah, I know. Today? What a way to start. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's depressing. Um, Macquarie, is, it is a top 10 stock for me. It's no doubts. Um, the new CEO, Shamila Vikramasinghe, um, has been brought into, been actually literally grown in the business. Uh, she's she knows all the pieces. She knows what she's doing. Um, I I don't I think yeah we all look at it as a broking asset manager. Uh, look, it's it's one of those listed private equity businesses, and they are yeah. very good at doing that. Mm. Um, and I I think previously I explained about how they were doing retail um, side of it, how they cleaned it up five years ago, knowing what was going to come. They somehow know things before they happen. Mm. When regulatory changes come, <laughs> they know these things. So I look at them to know what's going to happen, mm. and they're very good at telling you. Um, so in that context, they are very good. Um, they will, you know, but look, in, in a bus crash, everyone gets hurt, right? So if the market pulls back and gets smacked because macro risk, Macquarie will come off. That's your buying opportunity. Uh, but is it one that you buy and, you know, close your eyes and you'll know it's going to be doing well in 10 years' time? Yes. I think. You know, listed equities, private equities like West Farmers, Goodman Group, Macquarie, Infratel, these are the guys you buy and you go, okay, they're going to be around or someone's going to take them out, mm. right? So uh, I think you buy them on a pullback. Uh, I think the upside is 
probably limited in the short term just macro risk. Mm -hmm. But once that clear, cleans up, you know, they made big acquisitions in US. Uh, they're positioning themselves for the next leg. So I'm always interested in what they're doing. Uh, so I think there's growth there in the long term. Okay, so that's uh, two holds from the gents. Nathan, I'm going to stick with you. Let's talk chickens, shall we? Let's talk Ingham's group specifically, ING. Joe wants to know, one thing that stuck out, I mean, I'm, Gaurav made some really interesting points earlier on this, and I, I suspect there's something similar at play here, but the return on equity is 60%. Yeah. Is, what am I missing? Uh, look, this, this can, pardon the pun, look like chicken feed, but <laughs> it is actually not a bad business. Um, you are not buying Macquarie here. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. Yep. Um, you are buying something that, when you're in lockdown, the things that people cook a lot is chicken because you can't stuff up cooking chicken. But they and were talking get, about how COVID had impacted them when I yeah, had a quick scan. So, exactly, but in just over a month and a half ago, they gave an update where they said the demand is higher than what we expected. Ah. So the last update was actually an, um, an upgrade. So it is improving. Um, again, there are a lot of people will talk about substitution risk, you know, lobsters are cheap, beef is cheap and so forth. Um, not really, because I, I look at, you know, I, I guess I, I haven't got a social life, so I look at prices for these things. So it's one that always gets thrown around is chicken and salmon that they're going to get substituted by other things. But you know what? Cooking salmon and chicken, any idiot can do it. And trust me, I do. <laughs> uh, so in that context, in the lockdown, a lot of people are cooking takeaway foods do well. So both of these food groups I'm a big fan of and their prices have not come down. You don't get a discounted chicken price or a discounted salmon price out there. I've been looking for months. Uh, so in that context, I don't think that's playing out. Now it's a question of seasonality. Most of these food groups tend to underperform into Christmas and then they outperform in the new year. So I expect, and we saw the early data for us, salmon and chicken have started to pick up. So I would say these things do well. Now it's a yield play. It's boring. It's not your massive, it, it's not your afterpay. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a good return. You're getting it in a good price. It doesn't look sexy, but it does the trick. If you want one of those defensive, cheap yield play, this one looks all right. So it's 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 an ugly buy mm -hmm. because for the reason that it just doesn't, it's not going to do you any massive favors, but it gives you what you want. If you're after a yield and you don't want to take a massive risk, and if the macro is correct and we're moving from growth to value trade, these kind of stocks will get favor. Okay, so uh, it's one for Nathan. Uh, Gaurav, do you agree? I'm unsure about this one. This is actually a better business than you think it will be. Um, we had a look at this went back when it floated and the impression I got was here is a great business that's been decimated by private equity. Um, when this was in private hands, Ingham's, Ingham's is in a duopoly with Steggles. They're, they're, those two control the entire chicken industry and the, there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, one of the big reasons is you can't import chickens because of um, of quarantine regulations and, and disease control regulations. Um, so it's always a domestic player and these guys have established scale. They've actually owned, they, they at one stage owned the entire um, uh, value chain in chickens, everything from, from growing chickens to processing them. Um, and they owned all their own machinery, all their own land, all their own equipment. They're a very asset heavy business, but that meant they had a lot of control and you need that to guarantee um, quality when you're serving customers like KFC and McDonald's, um, which is a huge chunk of their business. Then private equity came along, um, they sold off a lot of the company. This is now an asset light business, which explains why the ROE looks very good. 
but I, I would argue that here's an example mm. of a business where the ROE has improved, but the business um, economics has actually gone backwards. Mm. The fundamentals have actually deteriorated, even though the ROE has gone up. I mean, there are so, this comes up every time, Andrew. The, if you just look at numbers, you're not looking at the right thing. Numbers deceive. Um, yeah. But today, this is only, I would say this is still a better than average business, but not as good as it should have been because of the actions of private equity. It's also probably carrying a little bit too much uh, debt, and it has for a while. Um, there appears to be um, some sort of uh, change in the chicken market as well. It looks like the retail part of the sales channel is now um, more competitive than it was in the past. Um, that probably needs a bit more investigating. But look, this is actually a reasonably good quality business. I worry about management a little bit. They haven't showered themselves in glory. and. It, this used to be a very well-managed business in private hands, so the comparisons are very easy to make. Uh, for me, this is one I'm interested in taking a close look at, but just to hold for now, pending further research. But it, it is one we should be looking carefully at. It's actually, actually much better than you'd think it would be. Yeah, some really interesting points there. I actually watched some documentaries in the break about uh, chicken production yes. in the US, but I'm going to resist <laughs> yeah. that particular yeah, rabbit hole because we've seen that. we don't have a hell of a lot on show. And in, in that spirit, um, Nathan, let's do a nice quick tour here, if we can, of Universal Store. Uh, Tristan wants to know, the code is UNI. What does Tristan do? Yeah, the recent listing, um, which is always too hard for me because you don't have much data to play with. Um, Look, it's this, this kind of business is, you really have to get traction with the, the age group that you're playing in. Uh, and it comes down to management, how much, how good they are in executing. Um, and I think from memory, Globe is one that does well and Graves is a big fan of him. And I think that that's, you need the track record. And I don't know the management that well to make that judgment call. Look, the share price has done well since listing, but that's very short term. It's what a month or so, mm. uh, so it's very hard to know. Um, I would want to see the first couple of listed numbers coming out to see how they perform. Um, it is an industry where the good guys continue to do well, and the bad guys continue to screw up. Mm. So, in that context, if the first set of data points, any data point that goes negative. Don't fall in love because this is a sector where I have seen things go really bad Tough for a sector. long time yeah. and the good guys just keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. So yeah. if they can execute, by all means, be there. But at this point, I, it's really too hard for me to judge. Uh, Gaurav, what do you think? Well, I just got very excited that someone mentioned Globe. It's, it's actually one of my <laughs> favorite stocks at the moment. Um, and someone please ask about it on the show so I can talk about it. But, um, <laughs> Back to Universal Store, uh, yeah, a recent listing, I actually quite like this business. Um, I had a really good look at it. Um, I couldn't convince the team to put any money into it, but um, I personally think it's a, a really strong idea. Um, Universal Store is actually um, an, a, a relatively old business. It's been around for a long time, um, but um, what's special about them is that they've um, very closely and successfully integrated retail and online together in a way that a lot of the competition has not. And that doesn't mean having retail stores and just having a website. I mean, the logistics, the distribution and the supply chain have all been very carefully integrated. And that leave, leaves you with a genuine um, omni-channel. Geez, I hate the term. apologize for using it. But a genuine omni-channel retailer where a lot of its competitors, when you consider things like ASOS and Iconic, are either purely online or things like Glue and I don't even know the other hip um, places 
um, cool people shop, but those <laughs> those places don't have um, omni-channel experiences. So there is a differentiator for the business. It's been superbly managed for a long time. The CEO has been with the business for over 10 years. Um, the chief designer, chief buyer has been with the business for about 10 years. So it's a stable group of people who know exactly what they're doing, uh, executing phenomenally well, and there's a large opportunity in front of them. They're only in 65 stores. They hardly touch the east coast of Australia, and there's a significant rollout potential for them. It's also a business that scales really well. They've got a really good mix of own brands and external brands. And they also um, have a, a little bit like fast fashion, have a very quick um, uh, sourcing um, time frame. So they're able to get um, on trend really quick and get the get designs that are on trend into the stores um, super quickly as well. Uh, it's, it's a business I quite like. I think it's a buy for me. Um, but understand that rag traders are, are incredibly competitive and very risky so it's a relatively small allocation okay some excellent insights there gents i'm going to have to ask for a 30 second response on this one and apologies to ron in advance for this because i have not moderated well let's be honest but he wants to know about <laughs> betmakers technology uh gaurav let's stay with you here just raised 50 million dollars recently does that make it uh something worth looking at look um it's easy for me to be quick here because i just don't know this industry or sector really well at all. And to make a decision, you, you have there's so much you need to know here. You have to know the regulation, the software, the betting markets, the competition. I mean, I, to, to make a decision, you just have to do so much pre-work and you have to judge whether the, the opportunity is worth all that pre-work. And for me, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's a hot software stock in a very hot sector in a really hot market. I'd much rather be looking at things like um, Globe, <laughs> I mentioned it one more time. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, viewers. Like he's, he's begging for it. So make sure you get it on the show. And uh, we'll do our best to make sure that uh, uh, Gaurav is on when that, when that does come up. Very quickly, Nathan, yeah. I noticed that the sales have gone really well. Uh, not, you know, up about threefold over the last five years. But on a per share basis, completely opposite story because yeah. the shares on issue are up ninefold. Yeah, uh, it is one of those um, thematic stocks. Um, right now, online gambling, you're stuck at home. People are gambling at the stock market, let alone sports. Um, you know, the governments can come up with fancy COVID BS to get sports on TV because people are gambling. That's pretty much it. So, in, you know, is, is it a surprise this sector is absolutely ripping it? No. Um, is there a new sector that people don't know about? No, everyone knows about it. Points bad, you know, bad. There's a number of them that are flying and you've got all these overseas players coming in. I think okay. it's just too hard. and. As Gaurav said, you've got to know so much to be able to judge this thing. And if it was beaten up, then it's worthwhile looking at it. It's not beaten up. It's gone, I think in the last, what, a year and a half, it's gone, I don't know, 15 times. So it's had a huge run and it's got a negative PE. That gotcha. just tells you where we are. So in that context, I think, are you led to the game? Is it the next afterpay? I doubt it. Uh, but even if it is, I'm not going to jump in now for the risk. So. Okay. All right. So let's do a very quick wrap up of the uh, back five here. We started with BHP, the gents giving this pretty much the best miner of the uh, planet award. Here, some very positive things to say, although neither tempted to uh, accumulate or buy at this stage. That was, that was a hold for BHP. When it came to Macquarie Group, also some very favorable things to say. One of the top 10 stocks on the ASX, according to the gents. But again, they are a bit fussy on price, so they have said hold in both instances there. Ingham's Group, uh, a really interesting company, more interesting than what you might initially suspect. 
from Mathan, it was a buy, but from Gorov, it was a hold. We then went to Universal and uh, flipped it around. We had uh, a no from Mathan and a yes from Gorov there. Um, really interesting uh, history pre-float, but the fact that it hasn't listed long enough was something to keep Mathan at bay. And Betmakers Technology, very Charlie Munger-esque kind of comments here, just chucking it in the too hard basket. And let's face it, there is no shame in that whatsoever. So that is our show from today. A couple of quick things I should have mentioned before. Firstly, we had Air Sydney Airports and Macquarie Group in our portfolio, and you've seen how well that has performed uh, financial year to date. Both of them are going to be kicked out after Ooh. today because we didn't get two thumbs up. And I didn't mention it at the time just to not bias you guys. Also, I should have mentioned we started the show with Drone Shield, which was our stock of the day. And uh, I will mention here as well that we are actually going to have the CEO on uh, at two, sorry, 3.20 p.m. Sydney time uh, to have a bit of a chat about their latest results. So we'll be talking to Oleg Volnek then. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. But other than that, it's a Big thank you from me. Nathan, always great to see your smiling face. It's good to be here. Gaurav, I can't wait till we can see you in the studio again, but thank you so much for your time today. Nice to be here. Thank you, guys. And thanks, of course, to all our wonderful viewers. Of course, we couldn't do the show without you. And please send those suggestions in, not least of which the one that Gaurav is <laughs> desperate for. Until next time, I'm Andrew Page. Thanks for tuning in.